This episode is proudly brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where you can get lots of information if you subscribe to their news feed, which you'll find at zupans.com. If you do that, you will have access to some great sale items every week, sometimes free things as well. I check that news feed every time I go into the store. You should too. So, Chris, right now on sale at Zupan's, Harris Ranch Prime Chuck Roast. I went and got this over the weekend for Sunday dinner. Fantastic. You didn't invite me. No, I'm sorry. There's <laughs> We have a ton of leftovers. All right. Uh, the best thing about the uh, meat counter, one of the, the great things about Zupan's and the meat counter, is I always get suggestions from the guys behind the butcher block telling me either use this as a marinade or here's how you should cook it. I haven't done that. Oh, yeah. No, it's awesome. I got to get with the program yep. over here. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And also they have... Um, Grab-and-go soups, Yep. West Village Farms, salad greens, and more. Their bread department, have you been through it? No, no, I've never been through the bread department. You haven't been through the bread department? In hundreds of visits. I've never seen the bread. (laughs) Of course you have. No, it's great. It's it's exceptional. Yeah. They have uh, Pearl Bakery, Ken's, Grand Central, and, of course, pastries from Mm -hmm. St. Honoré. Oh, yeah. You know, people, I was at Feast yesterday. They were waiting on this long, long line for NOLA donuts. Right. You don't have to wait in a line. You just Not walk, a Zupans. Zupans. I'll have that right there. Yep. Take it home with you. Uh-huh. So it's great. Also, you know, I have always found when I'm at a loss uh, for an idea yeah. and I need to get someone a little gift, I jump down to Zupans. You're always going to see, I had to get something for someone with an Italian theme. Sure. Got them some Cafe Ambria coffee. And also uh, some Bella Rustica Taralini, which was easy to find. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they have really cute little bags and tassels and things with the tissue paper. It was all all done. They have, have like, the best seasonal area where you can walk walk in if you're looking for that gift for somebody. You're just like, I'll take that, and you're good to go. Right. But even if you're at a complete loss, no idea when you walk in the store. Zillions when you walk through it. Mm -hmm. So that's Zupan's Markets. Over on Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego, and also Weircourt. Zupans.com. Here it is. It's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast with your host, Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. And over there at the control board, yeah. Court Johnson, mm-hmm. Kink.fm, and all sorts of other good things, including a podcast, yeah. Holy Matrimony. Yeah. I don't know that we promote that just right now. We haven't put out a new episode in months, Chris. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> then then we can self-promote and say, we put out a lot of podcasts in months sure. here on this podcast on Right at the Fork. As a matter of fact, over a few hundred um, yep. going back six years. Mm-hmm. Serious. We're serious about this. Oh, well, we, we wouldn't lie about that. Yeah. Yeah. We're glad we could but, put this out. But thank you for for promoting my kind of non-existent podcast right now. Yeah. I wish I had something to promote. What would that be? Uh, maybe some upcoming uh, Portland Food Adventures events. Yeah. Just quickly, Stone Soup mm-hmm. over in uh, on Broadway. Um, we have a Wildwood reunion of sorts. Yeah. Where else are you going to get food by Corey Schreiber, the man who started Wildwood, Scott Dolich, who worked there, and of course, of the recently closed Park Kitchen, Kana Flug, the last owner of Wildwood, yep. and just delightful woman, and also Ryan Sankey as uh-huh. well of Aria Jen, who manned the bar there. All four of which have, you can listen to. Yeah, they've in been the on archives. this podcast. Yeah, on the archives. So it's really cool. Uh, that's October twenty fifth. You'll also get uh, gift certificates to Bowery Bagels and also Bisaws, Kana's current place, uh-huh. Little Bean. Nice. Great, great little spot and some more. So uh, that's at the Portland Food Adventures website. Get some tickets now. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's uh, some powerful people in that room. Yeah. It's, I don't, I've never had Corey Schreiber's food directly from Corey Schreiber. So right. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And I think this actually came together on the podcast. You were, you started talking to, I don't know if I remember if it was Corey or Scott, but the I idea came about. was Scott when about. we had him on when he started Stone Soup. And that's of right. course, Corey turned into a good friend when he came on the podcast. So that's yep. cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm. that's going to be great. I hit That happens right when I get back from our wonderful trip to Italy. 
Bologna. So very nice. Looking forward to that. Very Anybody's nice. welcome to join us on trips when I have them available because we're all sold out so far for next year to Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, enough of that. Um, today, speaking of great places and great opportunities, Tim Artel, the chef at Scotch Lodge, yeah. which everybody's been hearing about this year, the hottest, if not, well, one of the hottest, if not the hottest bar in Portland. They just made uh, Eater's hottest cocktail bars right for just a few days ago and it's beautiful it's yeah. in the old biwa space right and it is the brainchild of tommy Cluse, uh formerly of well still of la mule mm-hmm. and some other wonderful places Multnomah whiskey library right he does the consummate scotch experience and the bar is fantastic and of course here we are in portland oregon and we have talented people and and tommy's attached to aaron barnett so the food is going to be great. Our guest today, mm-hmm. Tim Martell, cooked for Aaron at St. Jack and yeah. also some of our other favorite places, Smallwares and Proud Mary. Aviary. And Aviary. Um, and he started late in his career right. cooking. And uh, he's a very passionate guy, mm-hmm. uh, on point, He, as far as... The, the archives of interviews that we have, this one doesn't have any you know, places looking for a spot to go. Right. Um, He knew what he wanted to talk about, and um, I thought it was a great interview. He's a young guy, and he's doing great things over at Scotch Lodge. Uh, Tim Artale. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures. Tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astri Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. And by Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. Is this something you've done before? Is this new to you? Oh, no, this is new experience on the Podcast Village. Good. Yeah. Well, we want it to be a good experience. Yeah. I think it will. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, <just> kidding. <laughs> he gets the best hair award right off the bat. <laughs> Feeling a little shaggy these days. Running out of time to get that, haircuts. That shaggy? Yeah. Try to keep it in line. Try to look good. Yeah. It's, well, uh, and it's, you know, it's better to look good than to feel good. <laughs> How are you feeling? Okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, just busy. Staying busy. Staying moving. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, uh, and how's Scotch Lodge doing? Uh, it's doing great. Uh, we are just over the three-month mark. Our reception has been beyond positive, uh, almost surprising, I guess, in a way, because I think we're all just really normal, level-headed type of people. Uh, so everyone coming in just seems like they're having a really good time. We got a lot of uh, word-of-mouth experience going on, people coming in, telling friends, telling coworkers, telling family, uh, coming back two, three times. We had people visiting for the city of Portland for only a handful of days and they were coming back to back nights just cause they really enjoyed their first experience with us. So, uh, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a big compliment because yeah. most people who come to Portland, they can't get enough in. No. So to go back <laughs> to the same place, everything, there's too much to do in the city, especially if you're coming specifically for food and or drink and or, you know, 
any of that type of culinary yeah. world out there. So to have somebody only in town for a couple of days and having Come them back. be super animate about coming a second time, even two nights in a row for that matter. Yeah. Uh, we've tried not to look at reviews, but um, it's always a nice subtle pat on the back when they're all positive. So a lot of the Yelp and Google reviews and stuff like that are all like really enjoyed it. Came back twice in a row. Good. That kind of stuff. So, well, so if someone were to do, uh, I would suggest, you know, there are many different ways to enjoy Portland, especially for those people coming out from outside of town or just who want to uh, try a series of new places and or just do something. If someone were to do your resume, mm. they'd have a, a great dining experience, yes. right? We've got Smallwares, yep. uh, Proud Mary. Yep. Um, you help me out here because I'm not looking at it. I read it. But. Uh, we got, yeah, we got Smallwares, the original location. Uh, that was my first job in Portland. That was my first line cooking job when I was 30. Um, that was a very good experience. Uh, Joe Ware is fantastic in all capacities, very caring about whatever she does. Um, so that was really nice. It was really sad and unfortunate that it, the original location went out of business, but now she's obviously back in Did you business. ever cook at one of, our, we did two PFA events there. Did you? Cook at one of those? I don't remember doing either one of them. Um, yeah, that last, I was there for about 11 months, and that was kind of the shakedown period for getting oh. out of the Beaumont neighborhood and closing yeah. that original location. Okay. Uh, from there, uh, moved on to Aviary. I was at Aviary for about a year full-time. Uh, towards the end of my tenure there, I went to Proud Mary part-time. Almost across the street. Yeah, so I was in the Alberta neighborhood for most of my life for that three or four months where I was doing both jobs. Uh, hooked up with Barney Hannigan at Proud Mary through Joe Ware, actually, because they had cooked in New York together. Uh, and she was really animated that I go over there and hang out for a bit. Uh, so it was kind of doubling down on uh, your dinner, fine dining service, and then also getting some breakfast repertoire in there as well. And that's an unusual breakfast repertoire. That's oh, not yeah. your usual. <laughs> that's not the chicken and waffles, you know, standard right. eggs benedict. Well, kind by of thing, the way, so. no one would have mentioned chicken and waffles 15 <laughs> years ago. Standard no. breakfast fare. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I was doing that. Uh, Aviary came to a close. There, kind of um, was at a loss for where to go. There, I think. My cooking career was a little backwards and getting into line work, I guess, when most people are uh, <laughs> retiring from being in restaurants, per se, if you're in your early 30s and you're not a chef yet and stuff like that, people get a little burnt out. Um, so, and I was just kind of starting up. So that was an odd transition there. And what, uh, were, you, what were you loving about it at in your 30s to, <laughs> to get you up in the morning. It was always the thing. I was um, grew up in Massachusetts, and I was started my cooking career in the western part of the state around the Amherst-Northampton area where I'd gone to college. Um, that's, and, a, that's a cool part of the state. That's, yeah. that's a little bit... It's not a huge transition to go from there to Portland in terms socially. Yeah. Right? A lot of same mindset. In yeah, Northampton area. Basically, that entire area would be like a neighborhood in Portland. Right. It's very small scale, very condensed. There's a lot of driving, but the pockets are very respective of, you know, the, the downtown Northampton area is probably very close to the sections of Hawthorne on the east side, um, where it's just kind of shopping storefronts and restaurants and bars and apartments right. above everything and a uh, very lively, younger college-based town. I think it got one of the only... The first two dispensaries was in yes. Northampton and <laughs> something outside of Boston. I couldn't believe that there were two in the state. Oh, yeah. It was not point. like here. Uh, Massachusetts <laughs> has laws dating back decades about all of these things. So I think when I was in college, you still couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. Yep, same thing uh, in Connecticut. Yeah. Blue laws. A lot of blue laws, a lot of old things, something never changed. Massachusetts is very stuck in there. Well, you can now. <laughs> yeah, you're good now. Uh, they opened it up. At some point, so you could briefly do it, and then now it's pretty expanded, so it's not mm -hmm. an issue anymore uh, for everyone, <laughs> which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Aviary was kind of coming to a close, and I was looking around for um, something, I guess, different and a traditional, more brigade-style brigade kitchen hierarchy thing where you kind of work one station and move along, and there's a lot of different stations, and... Um, St. Jack came into play through that. So I started working with Chef Aaron from there. Um, moved up in my role at St. Jack after a period of time. So I left Proud Mary just for time purposes. Um, and I love all those guys and girls over there. 
uh, just kind of needed to take on an additional role at St. Jack, which was good. It's all of these places had some have some great people. Yeah, I have lucked out very well in the Portland community by having legitimate humans be my bosses mm-hmm. and actually have. Uh, uh, I don't feelings. know if I'd go that far with Aaron, <laughs> just in case he's listening. Oh, I'm sure he will be. <laughs> uh, yeah, before when I told him I was coming on this, I was just nervous. I was like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I should talk about. Like. And he knows me well enough to know that I just can go on rants. He's like, I'm pretty sure you'll be worried about what you shouldn't be saying more than having enough to say. Uh, Uh, So, hi, Chef. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I obviously... Now that I'm on the West Coast, you have to. I have to disclaim a little of my sense of humor because yeah. on the East Coast, and Aaron gets it. Yeah, yeah. But no, he's one of the nicest guys you'll yes. ever meet. And 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 when I started doing what I was doing, he was one of the people who made a big impression on me. As wow, he took the time to sit down and talk to me, and he's just mm-hmm. a really really nice guy. Yeah. So and but so I that doesn't speak to his talents in the kitchen. No. So um, I'm sure you're <laughs> well aware of that, and many in Portland are too. They don't always line up. Uh, yeah, being a good person and being a good cook aren't always necessarily mutually exclusive. Right. Um, so it's yeah, it's been very nice having people I would consider obviously mentors and colleagues, but friends at this point with all of the chefs who I previously worked for. Yeah, but uh, it struck me when I looked at your list. That's a that's a stellar list of yeah. people to work with. You, can, I mean, there are a lot of restaurants in Portland. That that would be if anybody chose that path, mm. they'd probably be very talented and have a lot of knowledge. I think it's one of those things when you're a line cook, especially younger line cooks. I think, um, you know, when you go to culinary school and you get out, you're obviously in debt, um, so you have financial issues. So they're judging or producing the decisions you're making with who you're going to go work for and be employed by. Um, and I think when you start making certain levels of money, um, you get away from industry related things. Cause obviously I think there's just a financial tier of industry related, credible restaurants obviously have fixed budgets for labor um, more so than necessarily like, um, like a hotel scene or something like that, which might have a little bit more cash to throw around mm-hmm. uh, to keep people and or unionization or salary-based compensation for higher positions. So I knew when I came to Portland, there was no reason to move to a major city and go through all the relocation costs and that kind of stuff and living costs and adjustments to just come and work at like nowhere. Um, so yeah, all my decisions have been pretty conscious moving forward to make sure that the resume was up to snuff. And that's definitely a main thing and the suggestion for younger line cooks like you are getting judged on your resume and where you're working and if you make a decision which you have to obviously for financial purposes to pay back whatever uh you have accrued um you know that does catch up to you at some point in time when you try to get into industry related things because that's definitely something i'm looking for Mm -hmm. uh when i'm hiring and that kind of nature like i want to see who you work for and what you've dealt with and how long you dealt with it <laughs> uh, just from talking to people. And, you know, I think that's kind of badges of honor are your resume and you should be making smart decisions accordingly. Are you, when you meet somebody, are you mm-hmm. making those calls to the people where they worked to find out how, <laughs> well, I mean, that would yeah. be part of it, obviously, but if you know them, it's easier to do that. And uh, trust yeah. them. But um, is it just the resume or do you, are you going a little further to say, how is this person Oh, uh, everyone, it's always like in Portland specifically, it's like six degrees of separation where if you get a resume and they work somewhere, you probably know or have multiple friends who have either worked there, worked for that restaurant family group or have done something with the chef or whatever. So literally every resume I get, I can look at it and within two minutes, shoot off a text and be like, hey, you know, this dude or girl applied for us. Uh, you work with them during this period of time, what's going on. And literally you'll just get like text rants back and be like, oh, they're great. You should definitely hire them. Or like, no, they're terrible. They're really slow. This, that, and the other thing. Um, so it's very easy to kind of check up on things very quickly. It's like a, it's like a business to business industry, oh, yeah. um, you know, Google rating si- or, or um, eBay rating system. If someone isn't up to snuff, you're going to find yeah, out pretty really much immediately. Yeah. yeah. You'll know if, some dude or girl showed up drunk or called out or <laughs> was not good at their job or, you know, you'll, you'll find out those things like immediately. Um, and I don't think people always think about that, especially when they're younger and haven't necessarily come around the block a couple of times and matured in that aspect. And that stuff will catch up to you fast. A lot of bridge burning. I see a oh, lot yeah. of, a lot of people talking about no shows. Yep. 
um, not only for work, but even for interviews. Oh, yeah. And, That's uh, a thing. Um, that happens a lot. So it's really, it's a small world out there, and it's tough yeah. to find good people. It is. But I would imagine if someone, someone couldn't have six great restaurants on their resume, they wouldn't get to the third and fourth. No. <laughs> so, they're, they're, you know, if they're only listing one or two, that's when you have, probably have to do more due diligence yeah. than others. So what would what would people say about you? What uh, So what would huh. what are your strengths in the kitchen? And, and why did Tommy want to hook up with you to open Scotch Lodge? Well, I had never met Tommy. I think I had accepted the position because Chef had offered it to me. Um, and I think it took me and Tommy like probably like six weeks to actually meet. Oh, um, really? So I met him. So it was Aaron who yeah. brought, okay. Oh, no, it was, this was all Chef. Yeah, I think it was like a, I had done a few specials and or menu related items at St. Jack over a period of time. And I think when the project was starting up, Tommy and uh, Chef Aaron had talked about doing this for a period of time. And Chef was kind of coming up with the conceptualization part of what food you should be serving to mm-hmm. complement Tommy's uh, ridiculous attention to detail with the scotch program. Um, and he was, uh, chef was very into all of these neo bistros and this kind of like shunning of Michelin systems and going into more casual, but still refined food that people could come in in the relaxed setting, but still get, um, a couple steps up of a caliber of the culinary output. Um, yeah. And I think it was like a Friday or Saturday service and it was busy and, uh, chef pulled me aside and we were breaking down. He's like, oh, you got a minute? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And so we walked out back. There's a parking garage in the St. Jack building. And, you know, we started uh, going off about this project and this side and the other thing. And like halfway through, he's just like, so I'd like you to be the chef de cuisine there. And the media was like, just like anxiety blackout. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. how much was your tail <laughs> wagging at uh, that moment? Well, no, there was, there was zero excitement. There was all just pensive, anxious, like... Because uh, you work, you work years and hours and very hard to get to a certain point, and majority of that time you're sitting there wondering, like, looking at other people in the industry, reading books, reading uh, first count autobiographies and personal stories, and all this kind of thing about how people end up in the positions they are, and a lot of it is hard work, but then an even per like larger percentage is just straight luck. Mm-hmm. Um, right place, right time. Yeah. So that was all it ever was, was like, how do people get into these positions in the first place? And this now was happening to me. So it was an immediate just blackout scenario. And I think I told him, I was like, yeah, no, I need, I need a minute to like digest this, uh, to think if you're even like capable of handling that amount of work. Um, he's like, totally. And I just got like, like nine very long texts, like him, like talking me down off a, (laughs) like off a cliff thinking that like, I was like, gonna balk at it or something like that but yeah it took a couple of days and i went back and i was like all right let's do this um and then yeah did anybody help you make that decision or did you were you in the my girlfriend said i would be stupid not to uh and she's my voice of reason uh in 10 out of 10 situations um so that was very she's just like i don't even know why you're thinking about this like you need to do this you're gonna do this so stop being weird and about that it. that is quite a compliment <laughs> that he would come to you. Oh, definitely, yeah. Such a, it was an important project. I mean, yeah. Tommy's been with him for a while, yeah. and, you know, obviously everybody wants anything to succeed, but that was a, that's a big project, and it, and it made a lot of noise. It has made a lot of noise yeah. in Portland, so good for you. But yeah. he would not have come to you had he had any doubts. I don't think. There are a lot of candidates oh, yeah. who could have done it. Uh, he specifically said, he was like, no, I mean, like, out of everyone I know in the city, like, you're the best fit. Like, your style of plating and food and what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing here. Um, so that was nice. Uh, extremely nice of him to even think about me, let alone offer it to me. So, yeah. So, um, how ha- it's been three months. Yep. Has there been anything that has been surprisingly wonderful and also surprisingly tough that you... I mean, experienced. I mean, the whole process of starting up was basically just kind of being thrown in the pool and being like, okay, you can either sink or swim in this situation. So all of the startup things, I mean, when I stopped working at St. Jack and I was officially employed at Scotch Lodge, a large chunk of that first month was uh, literally helping with construction and build out um, and being in the space. Uh, which was a really nice way to start off that project, knowing like, oh, you know, I stained that wood over there or like I, you know, I picked out all of the line equipment, like measured everything out for that. We installed everything like 
all those vendor contacts I set up and made those relationships moving forward, completely ordered 100% of the opening inventory, had to do equipment purchases, small scale things, dinnerware, that kind of stuff, going through all those processes. So it was just like, uh, I didn't have the financial stress of dealing with any of that. So that's much easier on me, but <laughs> were those things that you had done previously uh, or no, this was never. all new? No, Everything this was, was new. this was all new. Everything took a million hours trying to figure out, uh, just sitting online, looking at plates and bowls and trying to pick out like colors and materials. And is this going to last? Is someone going to break this consistently? Like driving around to every location, looking at things like uh, trying to work backwards and picture how I wanted to play things in certain aspects and just picking all that kind of stuff out. Uh, all completely brand new. So, Did Aaron consult with you on a lot of that or some of that? That kind of stuff. He was always there if I had questions to ask, but he's super busy and I didn't want to be like, what plate should I get? And like that kind of stuff. So right. I was trying to do all that myself. Uh, our involvement initially was we had a handful of just menu-based meetings and kind of discuss what he was looking for and what I wanted to do and uh, he helped me edit things a lot. I think as beginning cooks or people in this position, that's the hardest thing to adjust to because realistically you can put anything on the plate, but then you got to worry about the total spectrum of like, you know, what's the cost going to be? Is this easily sourceable? Can I get this consistently? If we've run out of something, um, is it too much on the plate? Is it too diluted? Um, and just kind of going through all those processes. So he was very much my proofreader in a lot of the opening menu things. So. Is it, and uh, now you're three months in, is he still, does Aaron have a lot of involvement in the menu? And I'd say his official title is my workplace dad. Um, we can't exactly print that anywhere. So mm -hmm. we, re we I think we refer to him as a consultant on most things. So he rolls through usually once a week and we just kind of talk shop and talk about seasonal changes and things we'd like to see. And uh, he'll, you know, we got this ingredient at La Moule or at St. Jack or this is out now or coming out now. You should think about this. I work really well with, uh, buzzwords. So if he just tells me like, you know, do something with this ingredient, it's easier for me to start with a general concept than it is to be like, well, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so I work well in boxes per se. So are you a scotch drinker? Uh, not really. Uh, to be honest, I'm a tequila drinker primarily, um, getting more into wine. I used to be very into beer and then now I'm kind of bored with beer, I guess. So trying to transition over to other things. Yeah, I don't know anything about scotch. I'll be straightforward with that. <laughs> no, but don't you have to be somewhat familiar with it because the dishes have to complement generally yeah. what's served there. Yeah. So um, no, I mean, I'm just curious how that works. I'm not, a, my father would love your restaurant. Yeah. I mean, your bar, what do you call it? Bar or restaurant? Uh, we call Lodge? it a bar. Yeah. A bar. Okay. My father, well, he almost liked any bar, but yeah. he was a big scotch <laughs> drinker. So, um, yeah, I often wish he was around so I could uh, enjoy some of these kind of places that would appeal to him mm. and, and hear about it. But so, um, what is what? Uh, where does that come into play? Your knowledge of your having not having knowledge of scotch, mm. or having knowledge of scotch, and what you're making at the at the bar. I don't think about it too terribly, and I probably should more. There's definitely things on the menu that I feel complement whiskeys. If you're looking for either smoky flavors or sweet flavors or undertones of barrels, depending upon how it's aged and that kind of stuff. So trying to do more traditional things. So, you know, uh, spicy things, vinegar based things, that kind of stuff. Like uh, the French fries that we do have a pickled spice. So we literally take a large jar of pickles, dehydrate them, the liquid, add a bunch of dill, that kind of stuff. And uh, if you go to dive bars, you can do what they call a, pickleback shot so you'll have a terrible well whiskey um that you don't want to taste and then you will do a shot of their uh like just the pickle jar that's just been sitting at room temperature indefinitely they'll just take out the little juice and you can take that and the vinegar from the pickle jar just completely nullifies the taste of the whiskey mm -hmm. um so i think we thought that would be a fun play having it be a scotch bar but then doing something that's pickle flavored per se mm -hmm. um like honey esplat spicy things sweet things that kind of stuff just to try to meld in with the flavors uh, we do get a lot of people drinking everything mm -hmm. um, yeah no it's not just yeah. scratch there it's a full bar yeah so but the the focus is yeah is on that yeah can you talk a little bit to uh tommy's now you mentioned it before tommy's knowledge 
of whiskeys, Scotch whiskeys, mm. and uh, for any the uninitiated, mm. what highlight that for us in terms of uh, what Scotch Lodge is all about? Uh, I mean, his knowledge is just absurd. Um, I guess that's the only way you could really put it. Um, there's just that tick in his brain where it's just borderline, if not full-blown obsession. And by the way, Tommy Cluse, we didn't mention it. Yes. We just, uh, <laughs> that was my fault for <laughs> overlooking that. But he's the uh, he's the owner and partner over yes. there. Um, so yeah, I think his just general obsession, a lot of the inventory is things that he's been uh, collecting and uh, storing for years at this point. With, years? Uh, it was a personal thing that translated into a business-related concept, and I think he's been thinking about that for a while. Um, he's not specific to scotch. Um, he likes all whiskeys in general. He uh, is a big tequila drinker as well and probably... Uh, I would assume would open something tequila related down the line uh, if he keeps going with collecting on that end. Um, but he's also an avid wine drinker and uh, likes solid beers and that kind of stuff. And is just really detailed about cocktails. And uh, we had a long conversation about sugar um, and how every type of sugar tastes completely different in cocktails. So he will have like nine different kinds of sugars uh, realistically to make certain things because they all have a different flavor profile in his head. Um, so he's very, very detailed and smart and definitely in the obsession realm. Is he serving there? Does he serve there often? Is he, he is not usually behind the bar unless we're getting swamped and Mm -hmm. he's just kind of helping. He basically wears every hat there, humanly imaginable. Um, everything from doing construction and build out and woodworking and that kind of stuff to doing the bar list and, Uh, All that angle and dealing with front of house stuff. We're very small, don't have a lot of employees. So basically he's just filling in every possible gap in addition to actually being the owner Mm -hmm. and doing everything responsibility-wise for that perspective. So um, are you still friendly with some of your friends back in uh, Massachusetts who are in the industry? I probably don't talk to anyone from Massachusetts. Um, (laughs) College-based friends, yeah. Yeah. Industry-related people, just because I did not work in an actual restaurant when I started legitimately cooking. I've always worked in restaurants, didn't actually think about cooking, cooking as anything more than a job until I was probably like 22 and out of college. Um, And it's weird because you can know everything about everyone that you used to work with through Instagram and Facebook and all those things. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of always getting updates, so you don't really feel like you need to ask people how they're doing so because you kind of always know (laughs) yeah well and nowadays you run into someone and they'll tell you about your life yeah you don't even have to talk about it they've seen it yeah or heard about it yeah but i'm i was just curious about the difference in the um uh boston food Mm. scene or the massachusetts food scene and what's going on out here because i came from connecticut and Mm. i'm not i wasn't in the industry just a, a diner per se and there was nothing like this. There was, you know, I knew some places to get some good food for sure, mm-hmm. but there was nothing like this collaborative chef-based food scene mm. uh, there. Is it in, do you know that, if that's taking place there at this point in time? Boston specifically, definitely. Um, Boston is probably largely under underrated in their restaurant and industry-related programs. Uh, there's a lot of great chefs in the city and there's a lot of good stuff going on. Um, I think everywhere else in the Massachusetts general area is very uh, like Applebee's-ish type of things. Mm-hmm. So there's not as many industry-related restaurants, um, but Boston for sure has something special going on. And I think it's definitely something that people should put on their radar. Do you get back there to experience it? Do you eat differently now that you've worked in these great places in Portland? Uh, I've not been back to Massachusetts for probably <laughs> three years at this point. So my mom nags me all the time about doing that. So I got to put that back on the radar. Um, Has she been out here to eat at your place? No, she doesn't like to fly. So yeah, maybe one day (laughs) would be nice. Um, Because now, yeah, when they moved, when I moved here, I think they thought it was ridiculous that I was moving across the country just to keep cooking. Because I think if you're not in the industry, you don't really know why you would want to relocate specifically to work in a certain city or an environment based on the food. Um, so I think that was really confusing to them. So I think they thought I was probably just like flipping burgers and kind of like wasting my time for a while out here. Uh, and then when we had opened Scotch Lodge, we had um, 
Molly from Fox News come out and do a little bit with us and uh, it wound up getting posted on their their website so I forwarded that to my parents and then they like it was like an epiphany moment where they like got it and they were like oh you're doing something with your life you're not just <laughs> flipping burgers at a you know a burger bar or something like that so uh, what, what were you originally going to school for uh, I went to school for communications that was my major that was kind of a period of time where you, you just went to college because we came from like a decent background financially. So it was kind of weird to not you go to college. Both. Communications. Yeah. yeah. Be careful. This is what you might be doing in, in 30 years. Of, podcasting. Yeah. I don't know what, what they didn't have podcasting back then. Nah. But it was funny when I started, when I auditioned to do this a few mm -hmm. years ago with Heather, I forgot that this is what I went to school. Time, so much time had passed. Mm. When I had the mic in front of me and the headphones on, oh, wow, this is what I wanted oh, yeah. to do all those years, <laughs> and I forgot about it. So, um, yeah, you can't major in that. It's not so easy to major in that any longer. Sure, it's branched out into more specific things. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it's a broad spectrum. I went to UMass Amherst, and that program was, it was a lot of yeah, media studies, um and film work and that kind of stuff and you still have interest in that or something not really something, yeah no no i think the, the initial thought was um i was a very into skateboarding in high school that was kind of my social network that's where all my good friends were doing so you'd make your little videos and whatnot and then like premiere them quote unquote with your friends at people's houses or whatever um so i had taken a bunch of like uh, video editing courses in high school because my high school actually had a decent program for that. So that was the initial thought was I would go to UMass, kind of start a communications thing, uh, try to get my GPA up and then maybe uh, transfer to Emerson because uh, they had a really good program. And then yeah. I would just live in Boston and that kind of just, just the idea kind of pilfered out after like the first year. And then you're just kind of in college and you're there and you don't want to disappoint anyone. So you just kind of keep doing it and it's not really what you want to be doing. And then you get out and you're like, oh, well, I got to get a job, but I don't want a job. So <laughs> kind of going through that process. So, yeah. Well, what you're doing now is the opposite of not wanting to job because oh, it's yeah. very hard work no, and this, it requires yeah. a lot of attention to detail mm. and perseverance. Mm. And, um, yeah, it is the opposite of just wanting to skateboard yeah. around. Yeah. So, um, that requires a different type of personality. So did yeah. you see that in yourself before? Is it something that came about? I've, I've got this. I can, I, that you have the drive to do this, did you? You should always be honest with yourself and say that you have a lot of doubts about your skill set, and I think that allows you to have mental room for improvement. Um, I think where you will falter as a chef um, is getting into that I know best mentality. Um, I think you can learn a lot from everyone, regardless of their status or position in your environment or just in your life in general. Um, so you can't close doors. You got to leave everything open for learning purposes and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I think the cooking was, there was definitely that weird period where I was just like, I don't like anything I'm doing in college. And then you got out and the first job I got was just at a prepared foods department in a little small scale grocery store. And it was just kind of like an eye opening experience per se. I'd never had any kind of food epiphanies or anything like that. You see all these people with their careers and their little bios and that kind of stuff. And it's always something ridiculous about that you know they ate a peach that was in season when they were eight and it was an epiphany that you know produce could be like this or <laughs> they were at some kind of family gathering and their grandmother was baking all day in the kitchen and like slipped them a cookie before dinner so they wanted to be a baker it sounds like, like you're recapping all of our podcasts yeah the last five years. <laughs> uh there was zero moments of any of that nature um i don't think i knew how to make a grilled cheese until i was 22 i think somebody had to show me how because i didn't understand like time and temperature and fat ratios and that kind of stuff, like just had no idea. And then, yeah, that first job getting out, you just kind of look at all this food being produced and you kind of realize you could do anything you legitimately wanted to. So if there was a spark moment, I guess that would be it. Um, I don't like to tell people my spark moment was hummus, but I guess that was probably the first thing I ever made in a professional kitchen environment. And just knowing that you could make something yourself from scratch and have it taste good and have people enjoy it was kind of, overwhelming i guess well that's pretty cool so yeah. what was your portland spark moment to get uh, you out here um my chef at i worked at two different prepared foods departments uh 
for about seven years. I worked at a place called River Valley Co-op in Northampton, and it was basically uh, a community-owned cooperative system, like a new seasons. Like it was kind of a small-scale market, but still kind of doing a Whole Foods-ish thing, but had a different business model where people could buy in and be member owners and kind of have say about what was taking place. Um, so that was kind of that. And I think my, my chef there, uh, this guy, Joseph Bielek used to live in Portland. He was the CDC at Mother's Bistro for a period of time, I think in the early two thousands. Um, and so he had talked about Portland a lot. Um, one of our main bakers at that place also was from Portland. So she would talk about Portland a lot. And I think that was at the dawning point of the whole Portland food scene in the middle 2000s where mm-hmm. Gabriel Rucker was kind of starting out and Naomi was kind of starting out and Foodie Donuts was getting on television shows and stuff and the whole like, you can put a fried egg on this or we're going to put bacon on a donut thing was starting. That was a little, yeah, that was a little later, but yeah. I'd say mid-2000s yeah. was, was a good good starting point. So there was a lot of buzz and I think, yeah, cookbooks started to come out from chefs in the city and Andy Ricker was starting up initially. Um, and I think I'd read, uh, he had a, like a bio in Lucky Peach where he talked about living in Thailand for a period of time. So there, there was a lot of buzz and it was just something that was weird. Cause I knew I wanted to move out of Massachusetts and it seemed like everyone I interacted with or was gravitating towards was either from Portland, lived in Portland for a period or had was doing something good in Portland. Um, so yeah, it just made sense. And was it, uh, you know, one of the things I experienced coming out here was that it gave me some aspects of New England, mm. but the weather was so much better here. Oh, yes. And access yeah. to cool things was so much easier. The traffic at the time yeah. was, was <laughs> nothing like it is now. Let's pause here for a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse, which is freshly, what do we call this, Chris? Freshly remodeled? I would I would say you'd be safe in calling it a remodel. Yeah, and and a little bit of a a little bit of, uh, let's call it enhanced remodeled and enhanced. Love it. And by enhanced, I'm referring to the menu. So um, they have some new dishes on the menu uh, that are pretty great. I had the crispy octopus the other day. Yeah, this is the crispy Spanish octopus on the uh, starters menu. Yeah. Exactly. And it also happens to be on the bar menu. And so one of the things, if anybody is familiar with Ringside Happy Hour, which occurs after 9.30 p.m. and on Sundays... From 4 to 5. Um, yeah, Sundays from 4 to 5. Um, Ringside's well-known for having, at those hours, one of the best happy hours you can find on the planet. But they've, they've always had a happy hour menu with some great bites priced between like three fifty and... Six dollars. You can get a hamburger. You can get steak bites, which are everybody knows are fantastic. But they've now taken the bar menu, and during those hours, you can get half price on those that crispy Spanish octopus. You can get the enemy's steak tartare, uh, jumbo shrimp cocktail, anything on the bar menu, half price during happy hour. So, in addition to some new items on their menu, the entrees check that out. We're not going to read them all out. You just need to go to ringside and check those out yourself. Yeah. And, 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 and part of the uh, enhancement that we were talking about, the sunken bar is now expanded. Right. So it used to be that just Jimmy could fit back there and everybody knows Jimmy, but now mm-hmm. Jimmy and Andy, whom I met at fish house and now is over at ringside steakhouse. So two, two, they, they can fit two people back there. Your drinks come up faster and it's, twice as cordial as it was before very nice now with all these enhancements and the remodel there are some of those things that you love they're still there monday is prime night and they have their three course supper specials so the things you love still there and then now more things for you to love Right, and so Ringside, it's a classic in Portland for now 75 years. The Peterson family has owned it. So, um, you know, Portland's all about the next shiniest thing, but I would l- I like to believe that the restaurants that have stood the test of time are those that should be visited and on the top of everybody's restaurant bucket list. Ringside Steakhouse should be right there. That's right, and it's easy to set up reservations. You just go to their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. 
Do you do you feel a little at home here, but like it's been elevated? I do. I think yeah. it's I wish I would have moved here years earlier. I wish we had yeah, my girlfriend and I were thinking about getting out of Massachusetts for a while. Um there's definitely a Massachusetts sensibility that doesn't exist here. Uh, I think people are a little bit more direct and abrasive. Oh, yeah, in the East Coast. Yeah, no, I've had to tone my, yeah. my act down a little bit. Yeah, so people don't understand it. And I think there's, yeah, a lot of that. So we've kind of realized that, you know, when you're interacting with people, it's just like night and day from like an East Coast, West Coast thing. And Massachusetts is just like... Uh, I guess you could use road rage as the example. I was going to uh, say, I was just about to bring up driving. Yeah. Is the main, is the main difference. Massachusetts, somebody would run a red light, almost kill you, and you would honk your horn politely, and they would look at you and start screaming and get out of their car, perhaps. Or I had a guy chuck beer cans on yeah. me on I-95 cause, because I wouldn't move over yeah. on the left lane when oh, he was they flashing don't like that, me. Yeah. So uh, he got in front of me, chucked beer cans, yeah. and then got back behind me and started flashing his brights <laughs> again. It's, that was not happen here. No, that would never happen here. I feel like if somebody cuts you off, like it's everything in Massachusetts is intentional and everything is not your fault, even though you made the choice to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So running a red light, almost killing somebody else, you're still in the right because you're busy and need to go somewhere. Right. Whereas, <laughs> in, in, whereas in Portland... I need you on my shoulder <laughs> justifying some of my driving moves. Uh, my girlfriend... You're busy and you need yeah. to go somewhere. That's okay. Uh, we have a rule when I'm driving with my girlfriend that I can't... If something like that happens, I can't bring my arms above oh, the yeah. window line. You can't. She's just like, no, you can, you can say something below your breath but you can't make eye contact and you can't move your arms above the windows. Oh, I love yeah. this. Uh, she's just like, I won't get in your car. Like you, you, you can't do that anymore. Cause there is that inherent Massachusetts road rage that exists here. If somebody runs a red light and cuts you off, they're like apologizing as they're doing it right. because they know that they were wrong and they just messed up and it was an accident and they don't really understand the severity that they could have actually hurt somebody right. but there's just this very innocent like oh i'm so sorry like a little wave kind of thing that takes place um how about the absolute uh unawareness of anything outside oh, of yeah. what's in front of you in the yeah. left lane <laughs> that that you know they'll keep up the same speed yeah. with the person in the middle lane and no one will ever let you no. get by it's uh my buddy and sous chef at scotch lodge tyler commutes an hour from Washington. Um, <laughs> God bless him uh, for doing that every he's day. He's ready to kill yeah, by he, the time he gets in. Oh, he needs a decompression moment. Uh, <laughs> he's just like every day, it's like he almost dies four times because no one has any idea what they're doing. And mm-hmm. uh, he's just like, yeah, he'll get in and I'll like start talking about stuff. And he's just like, dude, I need like half an hour. And I'm like, okay. So now I learned like if I need to talk to him about something, like it's not until after two and then we'll start chatting about stuff. Because uh, it's just that, yeah. That Where's he up. from? Where'd he come from? Uh, he grew up in the south and moved around a bit, but he lived in Vermont. Um, oh, there you go. You have so, to have a little bit yeah. of it. So he's got that New England <laughs> mentality as well for the driving aspect. So, yeah. I, but I'll tell you what, after a while, how long have you been here now? I've been just under four years. Okay. Yeah. So I'm uh, 14. Yeah. Just past 14. And after a while, You'll it, it, you'll change your perspective yeah. a little bit. There's still some of it that will be with you forever. Yeah. But I go back to Connecticut now, and I'm driving slowly. Yeah. Slower than I ever drove before, yeah. and I just like, man, the Northwest <laughs> has gotten into my bloodstream because I never drove like this. And these people are flying by in the left lane. I'm not used to this. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it takes a little getting used to. But do you think that that um manifests itself in the kitchen too is there a different is there a more laid-back feeling here than there would have been there when you weren't in the same types of kitchens but yeah i mean kitchens are weird now because i think your traditional understanding of a kitchen is you have the hierarchy in the kitchen and obviously your chef is the top and your chef is always right and can never be wrong and then there's a pecking order going down of this brigade type system where you're working your way up and through but yeah, I mean, that's the traditional sense is that you have a chef and they're always right and they're going to yell at you if you're wrong or messing up dishes or not doing something correctly. Um, and I think that dynamic is definitely changing now. Um, so in the last two years, right? Even the last two years, it's been pretty dramatic uh, just watching younger line cooks and how they act in the kitchen and watching chefs and how they act in the kitchen. Um, and 
yeah, it's just a very odd generational dynamic that's taking place because you have this old guard that still wants to yell because they were yelled at. And then you have this younger generation that's just so distracted by everything going on in their life and has grown up with cell phones and could easily find a job in three seconds if they got fired. Um, so there's a very odd dynamic where, you know, for every irresponsible young line cook that doesn't understand that should, they should call and tell you that they're not going to come in for an interview or that they should be responsible and just go to bed instead of going to the bar and calling out the next day. There's a chef who has terrible interpersonal communication abilities and probably wasn't socialized correctly as a child and doesn't understand how to actually communicate with another person to get what they want done positively and responsibly and not to be just a complete jerk about everything. Um, so moving into this position, definitely when I was younger, that's what it was because you would just read books like White Heat and other things by authors and it was just screaming, screaming, screaming. So you just assume that being in the kitchen, everyone would be following blindly and that the chef was always going to yell and you were going to get things thrown at you and hot oil splashed on you if you didn't stay behind and going through that mentality. And it's just like, it is not that anymore at all. Too, uh, too much social media, too much calling out of yeah. that kind of behavior. And then you've got gender uh, issues going both ways yep. on that. So, um, yeah, I've, I would imagine it's very different. And, um, and ha it w with the Massachusetts frame. Yeah. Frame of mind in a kitchen, do you have to ever catch yourself or are you are generally, because I can see you're a type A personality. Yeah. You're, not, you're not just sitting there <laughs> in that chair, just relaxed. You're right on the edge of your seat. And, no, that's uh, one you're thing an Tommy, guy. Tommy and I share. We're both very like just kind of tense all the time, uh, probably, and have that same mentality. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I mean, I definitely came into the system and then kind of looked at kitchens I've worked in and realized what works, what doesn't work. And, uh, your staff are, as a chef, you are not just responsible for the food. You're doing everything from a business perspective, but then when it comes to your coworkers and colleagues and whatever position they are in your restaurant, you are a therapist, you are a cheerleader, you are a motivator. Um, you are setting people up around you for success and in the modern climate, you almost, as a chef, are not allowed to have emotion, and that seems to work the best um, because when you get upset, the people around you kind of absorb that emotional context mm -hmm. that's in the air, and then they start thinking it's okay to act like that, and then before you know it, you just have a garbage heap where everyone is just frustrated and pissed off all day and thinks that it's okay just to endlessly talk shit and not do their job. Um, so yeah, I think just listening to stories in Portland, I think that's, there's a lot of great chefs who are very respectful and you hear just nothing but compliments and you hear twice as much about all the chefs who are just like, just not getting with it and just don't understand that they're the problem in their restaurants. And when they can't hire people, it's because nobody wants to work for them specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think those people in the city probably need a little bit of a slap and look in the they, mirror. Do you think they, they're aware of it and they're just not able to change? <laughs> I would hope they are. It would be really sad if they did not understand that the things that they're saying to people are just wildly inappropriate mm -hmm. and that when you have people <laughs> walking out uh, in the middle of service because they don't like how they're being treated, like I do think that people now are a little soft and probably need to suck it up a bit from a line cook perspective, but at the same time, there's no place for abuse in working environments. And that whole kitchen dynamic is just, should just be done. Um, so I think in Portland, if you are a chef and you know that you're doing these types of things, you need to figure out how to get your shit together. Cause you are ruining, not just yeah, here, but. like you might be winning awards. You might be getting accolades and stuff like that, but your staff probably hates you. And the people who haven't left your restaurant are probably trying to leave actively. Uh -huh. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to have one of those like Bill Maher has on you know at the end of his episode, the mm. special thing where you tune in. Yeah. Afterwards, I'm gonna, <laughs> I haven't done enough research uh, into the the uh, who those might be. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds no, like you have some in mind. Oh, uh, definitely no names. It's just unfortunate. No, I'm not gonna ask for names. What but. winds up happening is you have friends and you're working in an environment for X amount of hours a week. You're seeing these people around you. Um 
you know, go through personal things and that's, you're having this relationship. And like, I see, I see my sous chef more than I see my girlfriend. Like I see my sous chef probably more in the course of a week than I see my girlfriend in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, cause my girlfriend's in grad school and we're just both excessively busy. What's she studying? Uh, she is doing a sports chiropractic program. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a avid runner and has had a number of injuries and was always really disappointed with, uh, the medical aspect of getting better and having no answers for a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, she is now trying to do for others what was not done for her by helping them out. Um, I would imagine this is a good area to be studying that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Geographically. Yeah. There is, um, there's two different schools of thought. There's kind of the more functional, practical, modern aspect of chiropractic. And then there's more like the, like witch doctor type of things Mm -hmm. where they're doing just weird stuff. Um, so the school that she's going to is the first one and it's one of only like five that have these type of coursework in like the country. Um, so yeah, she benefited from relocating as well. So that was good for both of us. Um, yeah, you, you work with these people for hours and you just, you hear the stories about them working with other places and then they've got friends and those friends will tell you the same stories about the shit that they've been through at other places with chefs and, um, they're, yeah, it's just not the, you should just deal with it type of mentality. It's like, no, that's like ridiculous that that's even taking place. Well, especially now because they had to have been aware of it maybe 10, 15 years ago. That's just the way it was. But yeah, now, no, they they should look in the mirror and realize that they are the problem in their restaurant and their staff is leaving and their restaurant is not doing well because of how they act and how immature and not adultish they are. Hard to compete when there's so yeah so many places when you're when you're acting like that. So um, we don't talk about food per se mm. much uh, on the podcast. But uh, what would you? Someone's going making a decision to dine mm. tomorrow night, and they wanted to go into Scotch Lodge. Mm. What would you? What are your, some of your favorite dishes on the menu now? Uh, we're in that weird like midsummer transition where everything is just exploding um and i'm very much behind on my seasonal aspects uh when we first started out we had like a very loose timeline um and by loose i mean the initial menu that chef aaron had created was summer last year um and then obviously we didn't open until may 2nd of this year um so i'm a little bit behind on that so there's a handful of things on the menu i'm kind of looking at and i'm just like super bored with them and just like want to bang some stuff out so uh, that's my to-do list for this week um i'd say our heavy hitters are our fried brie dish um so basically all that is is we are uh making what could be loosely defined as a velveta cheese but with brie where you're using uh sodium citrate as a emulsifying salt to bind fat as it melts together to can to keep it solid uh we're cooking that letting it set uh, doing a traditional breading setting up, but we're doing uh, just get pumpernickel bread, dry it, make a crumb out of that. So instead of having a mozzarella stick that's mozzarella cheese and just normal breadcrumbs, it's brie, but with a pumpernickel breading. Mm-hmm. And then we do um, honey that we spike with frigiu and then some pistachios on top. And that seems to be the the eyes rolling into the back of your head dish on the menu right now. It's pretty much on every ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Karen very generously... In uh, Portland Monthly commented on it very positively, uh, which was great. Um, so I think people are now ordering it more because of that. Um, get a lot of good reception on our fettuccine dish. Um, that is, we basically took a bunch of Fresno chilies, fermented them for a week, dried them, and then we made a spice blend powder with that. And you can get uh, what they label mushroom seasoning. It's basically these little... Um, dried shiitake pellets from Asian markets and we combine those into a powder and just do it with a nice sheep cheese uh, just an unnecessary amount of butter like most pasta dishes have Mm. Um, so people are really into that and that was one of the things where I had probably made pasta once like five years ago and uh, Chef Aaron had come up and was just like yeah Tommy wants you to put a pasta on the menu Uh, and we were like probably like three days out from doing like soft opening and or opening in general. I was like, okay, well, I got to teach myself how to make pasta in two days. So here we go. <laughs> um, so it's nice that people like that. Um, so that's definitely up there. 
Uh, yeah, uh, since the Portland Monthly article came out recently, we're getting adventurous eaters now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think before it was very like, just give me some fries or I'll just have some olives and that kind of stuff. And now we're getting the people coming in where they're getting like half the menu to share between two or three people, uh, right. which is, yeah, that's the best way that you can do this kind of business is just have small groups come in and get the majority of the menu and sample everything. It's the best way to go out and do it. Yeah. So you can, that's why going out in groups is very nice. Yeah. You can try a lot. So when you go out, what do you like? I am. Are you a lobster roll person coming from <laughs> Massachusetts and and buttered or mayonnaise? Ooh, uh, here's the issue with lobster rolls. Um, they are fantastic. I will eat them all day long. Uh, but much like hot dogs, I only like New England style hot dog buns. Mm -hmm. Where you have the flat the grill sides, and yeah. Grill them on both sides. I don't do this rounded bun thing. Right. I don't like the nicer breaded buns. Like I literally want the stop and shop. The Howard Johnsons. If yeah. anybody knows, that's yes. what they did at Howard Johnsons with fried clam rolls and yeah, all that stuff. Yes. So you can't find those out here. There's a Vietnamese bakery that does something similar, mm -hmm. but I think it's just it's less to do with that. They're, they're trying to do a New England style hot dog bun, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of how their thing wound up. Um, so it's not intentional by any means. And if you try to order them online, they're like the stop and shop you go to would have them. The store brand would be like 99 cents for six. Um, There's a place called McLoon's. You can McLoon's. get them through. Um, what's the um, gold belly? Gold I think you can order. Yeah. They're, right. It's expensive. Yeah. But it's worth it. You can and get them on tiny. Amazon, but they're like $18 for like a six buns. And it's like, why would you ever do that? No, I'm talking about the whole lobster roll set. Oh, they send okay. you the, they the, sell you the lobster. And they sell, they send you the small, but the perfect buns that you can grill on it's mm. each side. So it enables me to make some awesome, with yeah. the butter mm -hmm. and just, yeah, that's it. That's the only way to do it. You have both sides that you're buttering heavily on a griddle and Cape Cod somewhere and just having the cold lobster salad go straight into it. Well, um, I, li I like Connecticut style, which yeah. is just lobster and drawn butter over it. Mm -hmm. Oh, no mayonnaise. no mayonnaise. No mayonnaise. No mayonnaise. No mayonnaise. We got to do that sometime. <laughs> um, so anyway, in yes. Portland, what do you like to eat? I, I brought that up, but... Um. I am terrible at eating out. And I think it's mentally where if I even go into a restaurant that's like comparable to places I'm working, it still feels like I'm at work mm -hmm. for some reason. So I like can't mentally get away from it. So and I'm, that's okay. So yeah. you got to go to the more lowbrow Yeah, places. so I've been in like literally I've been in Portland for four years and I just ate at Lou Pigeon like a month ago for the mm -hmm. first time because Tommy wanted to take uh, me and our investor and uh, the sous chef Tyler out to eat. So literally, Blue Pigeon's probably like the only industry-related place I've like actually eaten at. That's insane. Yeah, yeah it's just weird. Like, it's just not something I do. I wake up on my days off and it's like, uh, you know, I want to like run or hang out or just like be mellow and read at the house. Uh, my girlfriend likes food but doesn't care about fancy stuff. So mm -hmm. we just go to food carts or we'll get... Uh, burgers or tacos or just basic stuff because we don't want to think about things like that. So that's um, funny. But you did eat a lot at Small Wares yes. and Aviary. And yeah. So it's not like you haven't had those. No, nah, yeah. And you're, you're tasting your food all day long right. at any place. So you've you technically, I guess, you've eaten at those places. And so what was your first thought of Proud Mary? Because I mentioned that because it's hard to find uh -huh. new exciting places that yeah. are serving very different food. I went there and I thought, wow, this is just. Nothing like I've had yeah. in Portland. It was very different. So what was your... Well, yeah, I had, uh, Joe had texted me, actually, and she's just like, hey, we should go get lunch or breakfast at Proud Mary. Like, you know, I'm friends with the chef from New York. I think you'd really like working there. Like, let's go over and hang out for a bit. And uh, that's Johanna, where? Yes. Yes. Um, so that was like the first, I don't know, like weeks almost that they were open. Um, and so we had gone in and had food. Uh, the sous chef at the time, uh, Shadow, was hanging there, uh, looked very stressed out, and he was stressed out because Barney had gone back to Australia and gotten caught up on visa issues. Mm -hmm. uh, he couldn't, couldn't actually make it back to Portland for a period of time. Uh, so I started working when he was still stuck in Australia. So I was just kind of going in, doing some prep, uh, helping out, and then he got back and he's just like, you know, I'd love to take you on a couple days a week if you got time. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, transition from doing prep in the back and working on the line. Um, yeah, no, it's, everyone is, it's the most detailed working environment. They put so much thought into everything they're doing. Uh, they are not only thinking about yesterday and today, but tomorrow and four years from now, they've got 
massive expansion plans that they're working through. Mm -hmm. um, everything is so professionally oriented um, and detailed. I've worked in kitchens where you go in, uh, there's nothing written down. There's no recipes, um, which I have no idea how people operate in those systems from a financial perspective. It's insane. Um, but maybe somebody will like slip you their notebook that's all tattered and stains and ripping mm -hmm. and falling apart. And they're like, oh yeah, copy, you know, the first 20 pages, that's our recipe book. And they're like, you know, seven line cooks removed. I have no idea if they're right. I can't read this handwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to Proud Mary and I adapted this system at Scotch Lodge, but they use a, it's basically like a Google Drive account, but it's an app called Trello. And it's basically just a organizational structure. So on there, they've got specs on every prep project, every dish, exact weights and grams. Um, oh yeah, you yeah. take and if you apply that to coffee, yeah. Oh my, the, everything is so yeah. detailed and so perf perfect. Yeah. I went to Melbourne with Nolan, and you know, made the comment because I'm not a very precise person. Yeah. Does it really make a difference if you're just a little bit off? Oh yeah, because yeah. then our standards are all. Nolan is whack. insane. Yes. His level of knowledge and attention to all of this stuff is crazy. Yeah. Like I don't, he's got like two kids and a wife and multiple businesses on different <laughs> continents. Um, I don't know how he does it, but he is trucking along at a million miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. He does it. And that's Nolan Hurdy. Yeah. Um, really awesome spot. Speaking of awesome, it's been really nice having you here. Yes. You're one of the few guests I didn't know at all. Yeah. Uh, spoke to Tommy. He wanted, he suggested you come in, uh -huh. um, that you'd be a great guest. And he was right. And I'm hoping we get to know each other a little better. We can do a little event coming up. Oh, we definitely. talked about doing yeah. that. Um, so that'll be exciting. And uh, pleasure to have you here. Yeah. I'll come in. I've been in once. Yes. Late at night. And, well, I don't know how late it was, but it was pretty late. And uh, got to get in again soon. Great. Yeah, we'll please say do. hello this time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 